Hey, it's Jared Dubin here. I am hosting a live audio chat on the Halftime app on what going forward will be Tuesdays and Thursdays from 5 to 6 p.m. And we're going to release that chat as a podcast as well. First episode's right here, talking to Matt Moore from the Action Network about the first week of NBA games. Seth Partnow from The Athletic and Stats Bomb stops by for a minute as well. Uh, Just a quick note, at one point... Matt's audio cut out for me, so there might be some crosstalk with me telling him that I can't hear him anymore. But other than that, everything should be good to go. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and uh, that's it. I'm doing all right. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate you. I want to start with the Bulls because uh, apparently they're back and you were higher than probably anybody I know on the Bulls before the season. So what what have you seen from them so far? Is it what you expected? Is it something else that's sticking out? What, just, what, what are your thoughts on the 4-0 and Chicago Bulls? So, <laughs> like... You, you feel good, right? Like you bet the over, and you're you're one of the people that's high on him. I describe them as like a Rorschach test. Uh, early and like in the off season, I was like, look, everyone's gonna look at this roster, and they're gonna see what they want to see. They're either gonna see like this collection of really bad defenders, and like Demar's a, a mid range jumper, a mid range shooter, and the, you know Lonzo's been inconsistent with shooting, uh, and Vooch is Vooch, and all these kind of things. And you know, I don't believe in Zach Levine because he had one good season, yada yada yada. And so there's a temp- or you look at it and you say like what I did, which was I was like, okay, the model works here where Lonzo's become a good spot up shooter and he's a great help defender and he's been great on ball this year too. Um, the defense was basically, I believe that Billy Donovan can hold up uh, the defense with a very well coached um, scheme based off of just like playing drop like 80% of the league does for 80% of the possessions. Because when you looked at the numbers last year, even after the trade, the Bulls got waxed. But when you dug into it, it was like, oh, they were eighth on defense in that span. They couldn't score, which of course you look, they were scoring great. So that's kind of an outlier. Um, I will say that like this season, you know, it's a great start, but the defense is holding them up right now. And I can't expect that to hold. Like my optimism, my optimistic take on the Bulls was like, hey, maybe they'll wind up 15th, right? Like 15th on off on defense and a top 10 offense. And that gets you... You know, 44 plus wins, clears the over, probably in conversation for the six seed. You know, if nothing else, you're in the play in um, and I bet them to make the playoffs and like I can bet the other way on it uh, when the play in comes. If I'm right, that they're going to be at least as good enough to get in the top 10. And so um, right now, my big concern is just like, hey, going to need you to score a little bit because the (laughs) half court defense has been great, but the half court offense has really struggled. I think a lot of this is just like, you know, Vooch had a really rough opener and then was sick. You know, he was sick. Like he was sick yesterday and just managed to play. It was one of the reasons why I think he like almost gave the game away at the end. Um, Their schedule has been a little uh, defense heavy and offense light, which makes sense for their profile. I think they're going to average out. I don't think this is going to look like a top, four seed uh you know home court story of the season levine getting mvp consideration i don't think that's on the table 
But I do think that what we're seeing is like the, the team works together. They have a good vibe. The bench is going to bring great defense with Alex Caruso. Um, and Levine is, is still looking awesome. And that's like the big differentiator here, I think, is if Levine is this guy, I think that changes the Bulls' floor and ceiling quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, if he levels up even from where he was last year, that's obviously like a much different thing. I was personally in the uh, how the hell are they going to stop anybody on defense ever right. camp. And right. granted, it's you know two games against Detroit, one against the Pistons without Zion, and one against yep. Toronto without Siakam. But like you said, that defense has been carrying them so far, and they actually haven't been scoring as well as I expected. Like I was in the you know top five to ten offense range in terms of where I expected them to be and we haven't really seen that yet you know granted they started the season with back-to-back six-point wins over Detroit and New Orleans which isn't all that inspiring but then you know they came out they came out and took care of business against Detroit the next time and then they beat Toronto on the road last night and those are impressive wins the thing for me is uh, I sent this in our slack yesterday the schedule that they have over the next month or so is absolutely outrageous they play the Knicks at home on Thursday, then the Jazz at home, Boston on the road, Philly on the road, Philly at home, Brooklyn at home, Dallas at home. Then they take a five-game West Coast swing at Golden State, at Clippers, at Lakers, at Portland, at Denver, then back home for the Knicks and Pacers. That's all over the next month. That's 14 straight games against teams that are projected to be you know, in the play-in or better. And uh, I would imagine we're going to find out a lot more about that team in those games than we have so far. And, like, if they can get through that, I think it's 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14. Yeah. So if they get through that at 7 and 7 even, that's, like, a really good stretch. And all of a sudden, you know, they're four games up uh, over 15 games in. And I would think that, you know, both their floor and ceiling are higher than I did at the start of the year. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, even if they go – um, six and eight. That would be great if they went. But realistically, like four and ten gets them to what eight, eight and ten coming out of that stretch. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they're going to lose every single game because the Sixers are still without Simmons and Embiid is questionable every single day. Um, and then like Denver hasn't gotten it together. Portland, I don't know what to make. Like this, if you're going to have like, honestly, if you're going to have this type of schedule, this is when you kind of want to have it. Because nobody knows what they're doing yet. Like, the league is so wonky right now that it's like, look, they could get through this stretch and just be like, hey, they got some impressive wins. Even if it's that, like, well, the, you know, the, this night Dame was still shooting terribly or on this one, like, you know, Embiid didn't play. That's fine because a lot of, like, my confidence in them was not built in their ability to beat any of the teams that you listed. It's right. literally their ability to do what they've done, which is beat the bad teams. And I think that they'll be good versus the bad teams and okay versus the middle teams. And then they'll probably, like, I think they're going to get destroyed by Utah. Like, they should get absolutely smacked by the Jazz. That's just something that should happen based off of the, the, the difference between these two teams. And, and in that regard, like... You know that's fine. You can you can get killed by Utah. Uh, like expecting the Bulls to be, you know, elite is just not really sustainable. And even to like expect them to be, you know, even these teams are off early in the season, they're still gonna probably lose them. But most of it's just like, okay, can you not fall apart? Like that's really the key, right? Is like don't mm-hmm. go something like, you know, don't don't go two and twelve in the stretch. Just right. get like a handful of steel wins, so that on the other side you can be like, all right, our schedule's evened out, and now we can have like a normal stretch of games in the Eastern Conference. 
Yeah, I mean, it would be so much better for them if that West Coast swing where they're playing like the Lakers, Clippers, Portland, and Denver was at the beginning of this stretch than at right. the end because it gives all those teams that are like kind of struggling a little bit of time to, to figure themselves out while they're sitting here playing, you know, the Knicks, the Jazz, the Celtics, the Sixers, the Nets, and the Mavs, who, you know, granted, obviously, Philly doesn't have Ben Simmons and whatever the hell is going on over there, and Boston is off to, like, a strange-ish start to the season. But those teams, I think, have it a little bit more together than the the West Coast teams that they're about to go play do right now. But, like I said, like, even if you were lower on them coming into the season than you were, which, again... I was like this stretch here, I think is super important because if they can make it out of it without falling apart, like you said, like it doesn't matter that the wins came early in the season and it doesn't matter that the first four wins that they have came against, you know, again, Detroit, New Orleans and and Toronto and a bunch of teams that were hurt. The wins count the same. Like you maniacally track tiebreakers and magic numbers and all that stuff. And it doesn't matter if those tiebreakers that you win come in March or in October. Like, it's so important to bank wins wherever you can get them. And if that means starting the season 4-0 against a cupcake-ish schedule for the most part, that's great. You need to do that because you're going to experience some sort of ups and downs at some point. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have a stretch where you're not playing well like these other teams that we mentioned aren't playing well. Like, it's, it's really important to come through this stretch, like you said, having not fallen apart. And it was really important to start the season the way they did because they do have that ridiculously tough stretch coming. Yeah, I, I think that's like that's a great point there. Like, Here's a good example of it. If you're like, well, can the Bulls be a playoff team? We talk about playoff team as if it's like, well, if you're not a, a certain level of good, you can't make the playoffs. I'm like, that's not how this goes. Um, instead, the question is, you know, they just got – if they can be, they got two division wins versus the the Pistons, right? Mm-hmm. So they will now have like a leg up on Indiana in any sort of like tiebreaker going, just going into the rest of the season. Laws of games left to be played, but these are the th- kind of things that can be the difference. If you wind up tied with Indiana for the sixth seed or the seventh seed, you know, for home court in the play in, that can wind up being the difference. Like, oh, Indiana and, and Chicago wound up tied uh, and they split the season series, but in, but Chicago had a better. Uh, division record like these are the things that wind up actually mattering again like I've been trying to say this because when people are like you really think the Bulls are going to be good and I was like well I think the Bulls are going to be regular season good you know if you (laughs) ask me like I'm you know as as like a better it's like look I'm 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 gonna just absolutely rail on them in the playoffs like I'm gonna be looking to bet against them every single opportunity in the playoffs this team is not built for postseason play whatsoever but like you start with regulars and you build from there and I think that Again, what I get back to is like Lonzo's been terrific, and uh, you know Demar's doing what Demar does, and Caruso's making the hustle plays. The bench hasn't been terrible, and uh, on top of it, um, Levine continues to look awesome. That's like the biggest thing to me. It's just like there was this idea of like, well, I don't know if that's if Levine is actually that guy. Like, is Levine actually this good, or is did Levine just have a really great season? And now I think. If he, if he keeps this up, if he has back-to-back years where he plays that well with what they've added around him, this is going to look a lot more like a playoff team. Yeah, I was a Levine skeptic until last year. And, like, I just don't think you have that good of a season if you're not a really good player. Like, there are some kind of seasons where if you do that over – I mean, even though it was a 72-game season instead of 82. But if you're shooting like he did and scoring at the insane level – 
that he did over the course of an entire season, there's some baseline level of like uber offensive talent that's there that tells me like we should expect him to be a really, really, really good offensive player. And, and I mean, I think he did it pretty much the year before too. Um, not quite as efficient from three. Um, and I think he was a little bit of a better passer last year and he was certainly a better defender last year than he was before. But I mean, you look at the progression he's taken and with the exception of the first year in Chicago, when it was really kind of a skeleton crew team, it does seem like he's just been gradually improving throughout his career. And now he's hitting, you know, what should be his physical prime. Like this is his age 26 season. He'll be 26 to 29 over these next four years. Like that's when you would expect him to be at his best. And like, I think I'm just kind of sold that he's a really, really, really high level offensive player who you can live with his slightly below average to average ish if on the the good night defense, you know, like that's just a really good player. Yeah. I mean, like if we're going to be, if we want to say the other side of this, I think the other side of this is that um, his defense has been, I think really like, especially like in the Detroit games, his defense has been really good. And you know, I I have, will that sustain, right? Will that hold up? Like, is that going to be the guy? And, you know, likewise with the team, like this is a lot of it is they have they have like a lot of energy and, and um, toughness and like the vibe right now. And that gets harder again. Like you mentioned that that that's schedule stretch. That's what can doom teams is they can be hot in October and early November and be like, oh, they're like they're doing really well. They have all this excitement. And then. You know, they hit a rough stretch, and it's like they never recover, whether it's an in- sometimes it's an, an injury, and sometimes it's just, you know, they hit a, a stretch where they just could not get wins, and that was what did them in. So, like, you got to keep it up. Like, you know, if you go, if you get really, if you have a stretch where you go, like, 2-12 and 12 on this, this stretch of game, that's going to be, like, that'll test you. And so we're still in wait-and-see mode. Mm-hmm. Um but I do think that the big thing is just like, have they given you any sort of reason to be like, mm, I'm not buying it? No, like they look, they look like this kind of team. If anything, they look like they can be better because you expect the offense to improve. Yeah, I definitely expect the offense to improve. And I think their defense will be a good test case of like, can you build an acceptable defense if your only good defenders are on the perimeter? Because basically their defense is built around Lonzo, Caruso, and Patrick Williams, and just like Vooch being tall. Um, and I'm interested to see how well that works. You know, you mentioned obviously the the super conservative, like drop heavy, drop exclusive scheme that they ran with Billy Donovan last year, which for me was really funny because when I worked on that uh, defensive aggression and variance story about the Raptors defense a couple of years ago with Christian Narsu, uh, the Bulls under uh, Jim Boylan had been running the most aggressive defensive scheme of the player tracking. Right. Era. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and they went to, I believe they went from the most aggressive of the entire era over like eight years to the least aggressive in the league last season, which right. is really funny. Um, I, I want to transition to another team because I, I saw Nuggets fans kind of like freaking out in your mentions on Twitter last night about them yep. losing to yep. the Cavs. Yep. And just like they won their first two games. They have the MVP. Like they beat the Suns on the road in the season opener. They're playing without Jamal Murray. Michael Porter like looked kind of weird in the first couple games. They're still trying to get their rhythm going. Like I, I feel like there's not really anything to worry about with them right now. So why why are Nuggets fans freaking out? Do you think any of it is justified? 
Like what, what's just, what's going on there? I think a lot of it is just for some reason, Nuggets fans in particular just have a, a high level of anxiety. And I, I will say this, like the Nuggets are this, they're like, they're a championship contender this season when they're fully healthy. They don't ever look like it, like in the regular season. They haven't had a season, even when they were like third, right? That they finished, uh, I think second. They finished second in 2020, and um, or in 2019, but they hadn't made the playoffs yet. And so everybody was was like, "Well, we'll see how they do in the playoffs." So this is a regular season team, and then they absolutely they, they made the second round and went to seven games versus Portland, and so they didn't have that. <laughs> And then they, they, you know, they make the Western Conference Finals, but then they come back the next season in the COVID year, and like they get off to a really rough start because Jeremy Grant left. Like that was the problem, right? So they keep waiting for this like dominant season, and that's not the way to look at the team. In part because of Murray, in part because um, they're they're integrating not new pieces. They're trying to do some different things. So one of the things that they're trying to do is they're trying to shoot more threes, and there's a lot of of doubt about whether that's the right approach. Like, do you have the personnel to shoot all these threes? Um, they're short on guards, so you don't have like an offense to settle it down. Um, and there's just and you know, look, it's been a lot of years with Michael Malone, and he's always been a divisive figure. Where you know, because they haven't won a championship yet, essentially, there's this idea that they that he's not good enough. There's always been this prevalent thought that he is the Mark Jackson of what the nuggets need that oh, they're that, that he got them to this point, but they need somebody, I guess, more creative or, you know, more of an X's and O's genius to like, take them to that next level. Despite the fact that they've been the top five offense every single season, 150 games have hit their win total over every single season. He's coached, you know, and you, you can't give them the playoff knock because they made the second round in this first stint and then the Western Conference Finals in his second, made the second round last year without Jamal Murray. Um, but there is always this kind of thought that he's not the guy. So they always keep looking for reasons. Um, every loss always feels very reactionary. There's also, I will say this, um, nobody, nobody, nobody's fans handle losses to bad teams well. They always think it's like, this is unacceptable, as if you should go – undefeated versus teams under 500 when if you look back at the history of the league no one does that you're gonna have a handful of really shitty losses baked in like you're just gonna have a handful of 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 oh you know it was a tuesday night they played like garbage they lost to so-and-so um and the nuggets had one of those last night like the nuggets literally last night played they shot they shot terribly and still had enough to win if they had not given up 32 points off of turnovers. The turnovers are an issue. Like, that's a legitimate problem. And then I, the other thing I will say that's causing a lot of this frustration is um, they have shiny young people. They got MPJ and they got Bones Highland. And, like, fans will always be like, I don't know why this old crusty veteran's playing. Play the young guy. He's better because, <laughs> one, you haven't seen them, and, two, they're shiny objects. And so if MPJ's struggling, well, it's because of the offense. And they're, they're not doing enough to get MPJ. Yeah, I mean – Look, it's. Are you still there? Did I mute you somehow? No. Your uh, your sound is not really coming through. Struggling because he won't play bones. Okay, now I can hear. You. I'm here. Um. So basically, what I was going to okay. say is, I uh, I found it interesting that you would that you said um that that people are kind of up and down on Malone. Like that seems strange to me. And we're welcoming in Seth Portnow uh, here as well to, uh, to join the conversation. Seth, we're talking nuggets and uh, early season freakouts. And I think it's interesting. Like Matt, you mentioned that they haven't really gotten off to good starts. Like last year, not only did they not have Jeremy Grant at the beginning of the year, but Porter jr. Got, 
COVID twice. So it was like a weird start on several levels. And then obviously this year, they're starting the season without Murray. And you mentioned like they haven't had these dominant regular seasons yet. The one stretch they've had in the regular season over the last few years where they look dominant was right after they traded for Aaron Gordon and then Jamal tears. And it's like, we didn't really get to see the dominant regular season version of that team. And it does seem like they're going to be trying to find themselves throughout this year because they're going to play without, you know, their second best player for a while. And then even when he gets back, they're going to have to reintegrate him and figure out what he can and can't do and how things have to change and how they can stay the same, you know, based on not only what they've been doing so far this season, but what they used to do with Murray. Yeah. And like, um, they're definitely in this like zone of, I expected them to start off badly. Like I did not think they would beat the Suns on opening night. You know, I thought they would, I thought they would lose to the Suns because I expected a, a rough start for them. Um, for a lot of reasons, MPJ hasn't looked great. Uh, Jokic was out for training camp, and it's somebody was like, "It's only four days." Like it's not like it used to be, where it's two weeks of practice or you know a month of practice. Like Jokic was out for four days of practice, basically. But you know he was out early. They're trying to get guys up to speed. Um, the only thing I will say is like I think the roster construction was little, little, little thin. There's a lot of assumptions made that they can get through the regular season. I I don't know that they're wrong. It just removes like the margin of error because they, they didn't do two things. Um, they didn't go out and add like a veteran point guard because Monte Morris is so good on the bench, but asking him to be a starter means he's got to like get a team full of guys that make 10 times the money that he does and who are older and more established. He's got to get them organized versus like a bench unit where I think he's pretty comfortable. And they didn't bring in that. And then they also, they looked around the league and went, they, they said this. They said, if you look around the league, there's just not a lot of teams that are carrying multiple traditional centers. And I think that's okay if you have bigger personnel. But in that second unit, it's Faku Campazo, Monte Morris, and a bunch of subpar point-of-attack defenders. So they give up so much on the edge, and they have no rim protection because they went small. So on defense, even though their defensive numbers have been great to start this year, I think their bench is going to have a lot of issues. Because they don't have anybody that can just, like, even if you give up the secondary pass from the very good team, all you're looking for is, like, a big, tall guy to jump up and and be there. Like, just a tall presence. Essentially, like, JaVale McGee, who I'm as low on as anybody in the world, and yet I'm still like, he would probably help just from the perspective of if Faku Campazo gets beat on the edge because he's not tall enough to ride Space Mountain, you have a protector down low that can help out there. So, like, there are roster issues, but ultimately... Like, this team was not built for, you know, how good your bench is. This roster was built for win enough enough games in the regular season to get you into a postseason, probably in a top five seat. And then once you're there, you have the MVP, you have Murray back, you have MPJ as your third weapon, and Gordon as your fourth, and Barton as your fifth. And now, like, and a, and a team that has proven time and time again, they will find defensive solutions, even if their overall defense is poor. And like that's the model, but they got to, <laughs> they do have to get there first, and which is why I think, you know, I thought the Suns win was really good. We'll see how they respond. Like I've got, I took the the points on the Nuggets, but I expect them to lose tonight because it's Utah. Um, I don't expect them to win the division, but I think they'll they'll scrape by, be fine, and then start to thrive when Murray gets back, even if Murray's not a hundred percent, because their schedule gets easier then. But uh, you know, it's gonna be a little up and down. This is gonna be a season of overreactions because there's high expectations in an adverse environment because of the Murray. What I took from all that is Matt wants them to bring back Mason Plumley. That's that's really <laughs> not wrong. He's really missing Mason Plumley defensive replacement. Not wrong. 
love covered oh, Mace. A, li- a, a little wrong. Mace was uh, Mace was was really fun to cover and a good guy and upstanding and did his job and should never play in the playoffs. But in general, like was was fine in that role on the Nuggets. But uh, yes, that's basically what I am saying is like they do miss Mason Plumley, which I. Am- yeah, that's something where the bench defense is, I think, something – this is something that uh, all three of us, I think, have talked about in relation to the Lakers, where to me that bench defense is like a regular season problem. And the the Nuggets don't need to be in the business of worrying about regular season problems to me. Like they're going to be in the playoffs, and they need to optimize their roster for the playoffs. And if that means going small off the bench with uh, Jermichael Green and Jeff Green – um yeah like then that's what it means like i i think that makes sense for them and if it means that they you know struggle defensively off the bench like i think i'm okay with that as long as the offense doesn't fall off really bad as well also like the expectations for this regular season i mean do you want them making a lot of moves oh we don't have jamal murray for for much of this year Let's go out and get a veteran point guard. Does that mean they should have tried to get Dennis Schroeder? Is that Ish Smith? Is that Ricky Rubio? Or is it you're just kind of you're you know you're going to take some lumps this season, hope to get through, get to the playoffs, and see what you got, and then you know it, it may be unpalatable to say that that this isn't the year, but you're missing your second best player. So if you are thinking championship, this isn't the year. I mean that's 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 just a fact, and I don't I don't know what what they should have done or what people think they should have done to to chase and you know do something that possibly imperils their ability to add the extra pieces they're going to need next year just to kind of shore up a a a, a decent season this year right yeah and they were never going to make like an overreactionary move especially not after handing out the money that they did like they're on a tight walk rope anyway and so uh, they were never going to make like a super reactionary uh, move, and also like they're they also are pretty confident they can find options, and like they do have options left. Like Barton talked last night about he needs to be more of an assist driver, which his assists were pretty good last season, especially in that stretch um, in which they were healthy. Uh, and so I think you're going to see more of that. I wouldn't be like you know my personal like I think this is the best lineup is to start PJ Dozier. It gives you size and athleticism and a guy that can make reads out of pick and roll um, and. He can't shoot, but neither can Composo, and at least, you know, at least Dozier's bigger. So they like they have these options they can go to. But again, like most nights, having Jokic is going to get you through. Like most nights, having Jokic and a pretty like a competent roster of veterans and some pretty good players, like that's going to get you through most nights. And so I I think that they'll workshop it and be fine. I will say like I think I still think that once Murray gets back, I do think that they're going to be a contender. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's where I'm at based off of what I know about Murray and the whole roster and like their playoff profile, I'm still pretty confident this team is going to be a, a real, real force, I think, in the playoffs. But that's months away, and a lot of stuff can happen then. You know, like we're six months away from that, so we'll see how it goes. I think it's yeah. also the, the, the interesting feature is going to be uh, sliding MPJ back into the, the role he was in last year, whether he, he can still sort of do that be kind of a baseline cutter, shooter, offensive rebounder. Um, and as I think you, you mentioned earlier, he hasn't looked great this year. He, he didn't really, at no point, once he kind of had to move to the top of the floor after Murray got hurt last year, at no point did he look really comfortable. Um, 
And so you just wonder, but after a full season of getting reps with that, how easy it is it's going to become for him to 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 go back into that sort of third role, like you know, work the baseline, shoot corner threes, and and crash the board stuff. That, that is what is what made him you know really so effective for for most of last year. I mean, part of that that issue is th- there's two things there, which is you could say like he never looked uh, comfortable in, in at the top of the floor, and I totally agree. But that's where he thinks he looks comfortable. And that's where he thinks he needs to be. Like Malone's made comments in the last – he made after the win the other night versus the Spurs that there are members of the team that think that uh, Jokic gets too many plays called for him. And Malone was like, he's the MVP, so I think you probably need to change that expectation. Like there's already tension there. And this is a lot of it where MPJ wants to be like a perimeter weapon and a superstar, and he's got the money now. He's got the contract. So like the question is like is he going to be willing to – you know, do those things. Is that the player that he's willing to be? Because that that's going to determine a lot of how this goes. Because right now, like he's back to my my biggest complaint about him through the years has been that he struggles with understanding five on five basketball. Great one on one, but five on five, he hasn't played it that much of it in his life at a competitive level. And so he's going to have to figure that out as it goes along. Um, and that I think is a challenge. It's not so much I don't think about you know what he can do or where he's best it's more about that differential versus what he thinks he should do he has very strong feelings on uh who he is as an nba player yeah i was gonna say when when seth mentioned like oh how's it gonna be for him transitioning back to being you know that kind of that third option and doing things like you know skulking on the baseline and things that i was gonna say like you know, the good thing is Porter has never, you know, agitated about his role and thought that he should be getting more shots. Like, that's that's never been a problem for him. Right. Um, you know, but, like, I think these are high-class problems to have. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I was on the, you know, the, the Nuggets are a real contender uh, bandwagon before this season as well, and a lot of it is, like, projecting what Jamal is going to look like when he comes yeah. back, which obviously we can't really know. You know, generally, guys are not necessarily right back to themselves as soon as they come back from the ACL. I guess the quote-unquote good thing is that he had the tear, I think, in early March. So he has probably a runway of a month and a half or so at the end of the season, depending on when he comes back, to get himself back into gear. And you know whether or not that's enough time, I don't know. But both he and Jokic have been so good in the playoffs that it makes me think like they're – like you mentioned, they're a team that I think is is sort of built to win in the postseason. And I think that, yeah. you know, the way they've constructed the team sort of reflects that. Um, I, I want to go to the other end of the spectrum because you mentioned earlier, you don't know what to make of the Blazers. Um, are they just bad? What, what's what's going on here? What's going on with this team? Yes. Oh, sorry. Was that you, you wanted to expand? No, it's it's it's. it's it's you know trying there's a, there's deck chairs on the titanic to the to the the blazers roster construction and and you know building around you know two small mediocre to poor defensive guards and wings who who can only sometimes shoot and you know um nurkic who's a good defensive player but not sort of the traditional kind of clean up everybody else's mess defender I mean, I think we've just seen the best that can be, and that was the best that it can be with you know Dame being otherworldly. And if he's if he just if he just has a normal Dame season, it's not good enough. Yeah, I think that you know you, you mentioned like the shuffling of the deck chairs. Like 
it seems like the last couple of years they've made these moves in the offseason. Like they traded for Robert Covington last year, and people were like, oh, man, that's a great fit, good get for them. Then they get Larry Nance this offseason. Oh, man, that's a great fit. That's a really good get for them. But they're making tweaks on the margins when they're not a team that needs to make tweaks on the margins. Like they need bigger structural changes to what their team is if they want to be more than what they've been. There's only like how much different is Covington and Nance than, you know, Harkless and Aminu a few years ago. It's just like a few years later and guys that are, you know, slightly better at certain things and maybe not as good at certain others, you know, like it just, there needs to be some sort of bigger shakeup there. Those those are better players, but the bar is higher. I mean, the, the, the league, the competitiveness of the league is, is, is higher and sort of the advantage that, that Dame gives you as a pull-up threat is lessened because it's not as unique anymore. So it's it it it's not they're 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 not just chasing what they needed to be in like 2017 to be contenders. That they have to be almost better and more evolved than that. And it doesn't seem like they've 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 done that. They've been you know for for this entire kind of run they've been um, you know slow and 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 unathletic relative to kind of contention level teams and I don't and then you know uh, Covington is big but he's not a jet and and I don't think they've really done anything to address that and again you're starting with you're starting with you know two guys who who need something made up for them on defense because they're 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 small and not great and I think CJ would be okay if he was a guy who could you know guard the second third best player all the time but he's forced to try to do more than that for Portland and it and gets exposed yeah, and like I'll say this, I don't, I don't, I still don't know kind of what to make of them. I really don't like I because the Sacramento loss was a little wonky, where they had a really great like their half court numbers were fine, and they just got they got killed in transition, and that's going to happen, and that's a problem. But I, I don't know that it's as much of an issue as I think that that loss was okay. Um, the one last night is the one that I just don't know how to process because. It's so bad you want to toss it out. Like remember when the Clippers got absolutely annihilated by the Mavericks last year in the in the first month of the season? Now it was COVID time. But that's that's kind of my question. Is um like I don't I don't know I don't know how good or bad they are yet. I I do kind of agree with Seth's assessment though that there's a big difference between even if they're I don't know that they're bad, but I feel reasonably confident they're not good enough. And that and the problem is with the amount of tension that they have on themselves, that can be a real problem. Like there's, you know, as much as like Dames tried to chill, like, tried to be like, well, no, it's it's I'm not leaving. To get through your heads, I'm not going anywhere. Everyone's still watching it. Like everyone around the league is like, okay, we'll see how this goes because you know, even if Dame doesn't leave, Olshay made a big show of it's not the roster, it's the coaching. And so far, the the early results are that you still can't build a good enough defense with Yusuf Nurkic and Damian Lillard because of that combination of players. Like, I agree that, Dam- that Nurkic is a good player, especially, like, you put him with, like, big guards in a drop coverage scheme, and he's going to look great. Like, he's going to look really great. Put and- him in Vucevic's spot in Chicago, and their defense could be fine-ish. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, his offensive numbers, I've railed on this for a long time, that, like, he, he's not good in a lot of the areas that you want to see. Like, he's not very efficient as a role man. He's not very efficient in post-ups. He's not very – like, all the, the ways that you would want to see him being efficient for his usage, not really. But the offense still clicks because he's a big body that drives a lot of gravity. He's a good screener. So there's, there's still stuff to work with there. Um, I do just kind of wonder, though – 
how this will go if they hit snags where it'll wind up. I, I just I will say I still don't know. They can go and they, they could rattle off a five game win streak. They could completely fall apart. I, I don't know what to make of them yet. I'm still really confused. I think an, another thing that could obviously affect them is now Norm Powell's out. We don't know for how long with tendinopathy in his knee. I think he was a really important kind of release valve for them for some to counter something that teams broke out more against them last year than they have against like any other team in a long time is the the, the high up on the floor traps on Dame. Having Powell there as a guy who will shoot literally right away or else get downhill to the basket literally right away. Like, it's just a different kind of attacker as that outlet guy than CJ is. And it's just not having that guy, I think, is kind of important. And um, he doesn't necessarily help the defense all that much either. But they're, they're going to be a team that wins on the strength of their offense. And it's just not the same threat having, I think they started Nasir Little in that spot last night. It's obviously not the same threat as having Powell in that role. It's uh, you know it's 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 amazing that the person who put the roster together thinks the roster is plenty good. It's, it's, it's funny how that, that always works out. But yeah, um, what else could it be? Yeah. So by the way, uh, if anybody's got questions for me, Matt, Seth, anybody, uh, drop them in the chat, and we'll try to get to them over the last uh, couple of minutes. Um, before that, though, I want to talk about the Hawks. Um, I I think that I may have underestimated their regular season ceiling like somebody mentioned to me on twitter the other day like is it possible they could have like a jazz-esque regular season just because they're so deep and they have so many different threats on offense and like i don't think it's necessarily in the you know 50th percentile of their range of outcomes Come on, but i think it might be more possible than i thought it was coming into the year their schedule has been a little wonky. There's more to see. I was high on them. I was higher on them than most people were going in just because one of the things that, I mean, I'm always looking at this from a betting perspective, right? And I looked back at uh, Curry after the 2013 breakout season and Dame after the game winner versus Houston and um, a bunch of these guys. If you have the kind of breakout success the kind of the lesson has been that those teams they get they regress a little bit but their win total they still go over because the market underestimates them but that would still put them you know a little worse than last year so we're talking like 47 48 maybe in that range but they've been i think they've been pretty impressive i think the the win over the mavericks is one we're still trying to kind of uh, figure out right is like I don't know who the Mavericks are yet either because the win the, the next couple of days for Mavericks are going to be are going to be very interesting to see whether or not um, how much of the opening night Atlanta win was hey you know what uh, Jason Kidd's terrible versus the Hawks are really good we'll, we'll see more of that in the coming days I think but one thing I, I do think is that the Hawks have I like their bench they're well coached they're not I don't feel like the the Hawks are going to be I don't see a lot of necessarily weaknesses in a regular season contact. So we'll see how it works Ooh. out. But I am kind of curious if the schedule has more to do with this or not. Who's, uh, whose kids are making noise in the background? <laughs> not I said the cat. My kids are upstairs. Uh, I don't imagine that Seth has any thoughts about Jason Kidd. That, that would, yeah, that, that would be me. And so I should probably, yep, jump off because uh, – I am being called upon, but first I want to before we since we talked about the Hawks, um, Cam Reddish has been really good to start the season, and that oh, yeah, that, that is um, I've never been a believer in him, um, but so 
if if one is going to stick to those to that viewpoint, uh, he's not going to keep shooting sixty percent from three, right? Or maybe... I would imagine he's not. Uh, DeAndre Hunter might keep playing better defense on perimeter guys than almost anybody out there, though. That performance he put on in on Luca in the opening game, oh my god! Like the dude was absolutely everywhere. Um, it was wildly, wildly impressive. Um, speaking of, we've got a question from Billy Hoyle here. Um, teams or players that have surprised you early in the year. I think Reddish is one of them for me. Just how good good he's been offensively for them off the bench. I was more a believer in him as sort of like a lanky defensive type coming into the league and just starting with the playoff game that he played last year. Um, I think it was in he came in 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 game six or game seven, whatever it was, he played pretty well in all of the games that he played against Milwaukee. But I think it was in the elimination game where he looked really, really good and just made a bunch of threes. Um, and then he's continued it to start this season. Offensively, for me, Reddish is a surprise. Matt, you got anything? Um, you know, I got I watched the Cavs on Friday night uh, lose a very frustrating game. I've watched them uh, last night versus the Nuggets get a, a pretty impressive win. I will say Darius Garland and Markkanen both have really impressed me uh, because they've been like Markkanen last night. Like Markkanen's give better def- defensive effort than I thought he would, and the results have been better that I than I think that I thought that they would be even if he gave that effort. Right, so like he's trying, and the results are actually been pretty pretty good so far. Like small sample, et cetera, but uh, I really like what I've seen from Markkanen. And then Garland had what, on both ends of the floor was. Good last night. I mean, Charlotte's got to be the, the obvious one. Uh, Cody Martin is so many freaking huge plays for them. Like the way that they've managed, I mean, they hung in last night without PJ Washington. That was huge. I did. I did not like this roster, and Charlotte has really impressed me with how they played. Because like I'm going to get bit again by thinking by not really factoring in internal improvement from guys that are ready to, to make a jump. I think a, a bunch of their guys look ready. Lamelo is obviously awesome, but they have supporting and they play pretty smart. Borrego is a really good coach. Uh, I think I've underestimated how good the Charlotte Hornets are going to be this season. Yeah, I would say so. You mentioned uh, the Cavs and Markkanen. The the three big lineup that they're playing, essentially like three centers at once. I don't know how it's working so far. I think you mentioned earlier that it's a plus on the season. Um, I don't know if we can expect that to continue, but it's it's interesting that it's at least like I expected that to really not work at all, and they'd have to abandon yeah. it very early. Um, on the Hornets, Miles Bridges, oh my god, like yeah, it's all coming together for that dude. I remember before that draft, uh, Miles and, and Mikael Bridges were the two guys that I really liked in that draft, and uh, I like to remember that because I'm wrong about stuff a lot, and that's something that I was actually right about. I remember saying before the draft that I thought Miles had the third best chance to be the best player in the draft. I don't think that's going to happen, obviously, because of who else is in that draft. But that dude is just a complete player. He's a good passer. He's become a very good shooter. He's obviously just ridiculous in the open court. I know he got dunked on by somebody last night, but he will go up and challenge every single shot. He makes plays on defense. Like He's just a really good player. He obviously had the chemistry with LaMelo last year early in the season off the bench. And I think he makes sense for them as a starter now. Like he's just a good player, man. And, you know, I think I may have underestimated the Hornets a little bit too. It's just, it's a fun team and I'm not sold that they're going to be good enough defensively 
to win as much as it may seem like they're going to now, but they have so much talent on offense, and I think they could score just an absolute ton of points with the way Bridges is playing and LaMelo is playing, and you know they still have Rozier, and they still have uh, P.J. Washington when he comes back, and Gordon Hayward, who like is now the, like the fifth guy you mentioned on this team. It's, it's a really talented team considering the expectations for them, you know? Yeah, I'd also say um, that, like, Borrego, I, I like last year because he, he mixed up defensive coverages a lot, and that gives you an edge, I think, in close games together. I need, I need to kind of research this, but one thing I'd be interested to, to look at is defensive coverage variance versus if, performance in close games in clutch time. If only you had someone who has all of that data that could look if, it up for you. If only. I would love to know what the correlation is between clutch performance and uh, defensive scheme variance. Along those same lines, uh, just an interesting, like, this is like a tiny thing about the, about the Wolves last night. Um, so typically the teams in these duplex sets where you play two games back-to-back, if you lose the first one, you win the second one. You win the first one, you lose the second one. That's been the general pattern since they started moving towards this last season. Uh, one thing I thought was really interesting last night, though, was so the Wolves are playing this hyper-aggressive scheme. Like, they're even more aggressive than Denver. They're playing – like, they're forcing the most turnovers by a huge margin. Um, that's, like, their entire style is, is basically it's skirmish, right? Mm-hmm. And I, By the way, I think makes sense for them because they have yeah. really athletic guys who aren't necessarily very sound defenders. Yeah. So just, like, wreak havoc, cause chaos. yeah. And get out and then use that to get out and transition and run. And so that makes a lot of sense. What was interesting last night was after playing them in the first night and then playing them again, both games were in Minnesota, but the Wolves or the Pelicans last night were like, oh, we know how to do this now. Okay, so you're going to trap and then we're going to hit the short roll and then we're going to have an open corner three every time. And they just tore them to pieces that way, where the Wolves have been really sound and really good. And, like, the, you know, I had them projected as huge favorites in that game and, and bet them um, testing the theories of, like, how good they would be and if the Pelicans could beat it without Zion. And so, like, I'm really going to be keen to see if the Wolves struggle in those back-to-back games because you just don't see that coverage as much as you see everything else. And I'm wondering if that's, like, going to be part of the trend this season, that the Wolves struggle in these sets because you can figure out how to beat that coverage if you have more experience with it. Yeah, one thing that's really interesting is when you play a team two, three times, like obviously everybody plays each other twice. Some teams you play three or four times. Um, when one player or when one team cracks the other team's defense and what that does to the matchup the rest of the regular season or if they play each other again in the playoffs, this is something that I mentioned with the Hawks and Knicks last year. The Knicks went 3-0 and against the Hawks in the regular season. But in that last game, Trey Young yeah. like really figured out what to do against their defense and was just destroying them. Yeah. And he had 14 assists in the middle of the third quarter when he like sprained his ankle and went out. And then the Knicks came back and won the game. But going into the playoff series, it was like, Oh, you know, the Knicks went three and zero against the Hawks this year. And I went on Brad Rowland's podcast and I was like, I-, I don't know how much stock we should put in that. Like Trey figured out what to do against this mm-hmm. defense. Like it could still be a close series because the Hawks couldn't figure out Julius Randle at all during the regular season. But they came out and basically just said, Julius Randle's not beating us. We don't care what anybody else does. And the Knicks couldn't figure out how to do anything else defensively than the thing that Trey had already figured out because just like that's their scheme. They play their scheme. They're one of the least variable defenses in the league. And, you know, it worked for them throughout last season. They were third 
in defense. I think they were fifth in non-garbage time defense at cleaning the glass. But when somebody figures it out, like you gotta have you gotta be able to fight lefty, as they say. Yeah, and man, so much of that too is that the uh like if if you're if you're a player like Trey Young, the one thing that you wanna see is a team that plays that kind of coverage he just the fl- I, I took them after game two, after game two and it was one one mm-hmm. because i was like man trey's just gonna get floaters for days and that's what he just tore him up with it and then they had to overplay it so that's how he got some of the assists like yeah the, those kind of coverages are huge edges i will say like this is part of the thing with the regular season though right is in the regular season you can get away with schemes that you can't in the playoff series like this is what we talked about with the Bulls too. Is you can play this drop coverage, but you'll get solved. You have to have have different things that you can do. And I, maybe the good news for the Wolves, right, is that they can probably improve and play some different stuff. Um, but you need to have different things in the bag. Uh, I'll be interested to see what teams are kind of trying that out this season. There's a lot of teams that are trying new stuff. Like we mentioned, Portland. Like one of their things, they're trying to play more aggressive, and it's I've never thought this was a good idea with them. Like I like playing more aggressive and at the level as a general rule. But I really do not like it if you do not have the personnel for it, and they do not. So testing out these new schemes is going to be interesting to watch. Um, I want to ask you if you have thoughts on Brooklyn. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that they finally played Bruce Brown his, uh, yeah, his minutes last night, and they won. Like, I'm not, like, I don't think it's just bias. Like, they are better when he plays that role for them. It was clear throughout last year, like – I talked about this a little bit with with James the other day. Like, they still have good depth, and they still are able to throw out a whole bunch of lineups, but those lineups now lean much bigger than they did last year. Like, they they had, like, six centers, basically, and it's like, I don't really think any more than one of those guys should be playing at once, and I don't know that they have the wing depth to be able to do that this year unless they, you know, put Cam Thomas... In the rotation, like, you know, they don't have TLC this year who could at least play for them. They don't have uh, Jeff Green, who at least was like a wing guy playing the five. They don't have Kyrie, obviously, right now. So that's another guy that you're taking off the perimeter. It's a little bit more difficult for them to play their their ideal style, which is that small ball, whether it's with Brown as the center or Blake as the center or Claxton as the center, whoever it is, like... I just think it's a little bit more difficult for them to get to those optimal lineups at the moment. Yeah, it's funny because a lot of people mentioned the wing stuff, and I still just continue to be like defensively in the front court. I just I don't know even with where the league is at with jump shooting and everything else. I don't think you can have this kind of rim protection. I I just don't like Blake Griffin is their rim protector. Like that's not us. That's that's not what you want. To, like, I think KD is their rim protector, honestly. Like, and that's I don't like that either. Given off the injury and his offensive load, especially with Kyrie out, asking for a ton from him in that capacity. So I have I still have a lot of concerns. Like last night, Beal had an absolutely terrible game. Um, I had Wizards in that game, and you know it was it was a reach. I was like, oh boy, probably this is this is probably Darren too much because I bet the Hornets on the night before. And then I was like, oh, I don't know if I can really, like, do I really want to bet the Wizards and the Nets? And I did, and then I paid for it. But when I looked back at that game and rewatched it, I was like, you know what? They just had a bad offensive night. And I think that most teams, if you lose because of your offense versus the Nets, then you did something wrong. And so I, I do think that there, there's legitimate questions to have about them. On a scale of one to, you know, whatever the value of a honey bun is, how worried are you about whatever is happening with James Harden right now? 
Hmm, boy, that's a good. I think I don't think he looks terrible, which you don't want to see. But I don't know how much to care about how things look versus how things are. Right? This is always a an interesting thing, and and you can kind of fit it in. He looked better last night. I don't know. Like I think I'm worried, but still kind of confident that they can that he'll pull it together. It's even so long. Um, I do think that their entire vibe has been weird. Of just he, it, it's funny because people are like he looks you know less explosive and yeah, all all these type of things. He looks so you know obviously out of shape, but at the same time, for me, I'm like I don't even really care about that because I've seen Harden absolutely dominate when he doesn't you know look like he has burst. It's but it's how much energy does he does he look like he wants to be there? And right now he doesn't look like he wants to be there, and I think that's a legit question is like what's up with the fact that they all look very sad they look like very they look like they're all listening to the smiths and that's not good yeah it looks like he uh took a a shack-esque attitude to this season he's gonna play himself into shape over the course of the regular season and like probably not ideal but also probably something that they can live with like the talent level that they have and like you said just what they could do offensively on basically any night they're going to be able to beat most teams yeah. even if he's not operating at his, his highest level. And it's not like we haven't seen him have dominant stretches when he's not in peak physical condition. Um, as far as the vibe, like I haven't been around them yet because my body doesn't work right and I yeah. fractured my shin. <laughs> so I haven't been able to go to games yet. <laughs> Hopefully that'll change soon. But I, I like... I don't know that the vibe needs to be right with them until the playoffs. Like I would think that they're going to go through a lot of changes throughout the regular season. You know, perhaps somebody will decide to, uh, to look out for the health of himself and people around him and everybody else. And then he'll be allowed to play maybe perhaps, I don't know, but you would imagine that, you know, they're going to go through a lot of iterations of themselves. Like, that was one thing that I thought Nash did really well last year anyway, was just sort of mixing things up on any given night and trying things out. Their talent is such that they are going to be in the playoffs and they're going to be a contender. You might as well try everything you can to figure out what works and what doesn't. I think they're learning pretty early that two of like Blake Claxton or LaMarcus Millsap is not really going to work for them. And I'm interested to see how they sort of sort that out if they can only have one of those guys on a court at a time. Um, so last thing I want to talk about before I let you go, John Morant the other night made four pull-up threes against the Lakers. He made 73 in his first two seasons combined, shot 30.7% on that, on that shot. I mean, if he is able to pull that out, and granted they were basically giving him those shots, but those are the ones that he needs to be able to hit because if they're not giving it to him, he's going by them. So... Yeah. I mean, I'm really excited about this development. Obviously, he's not going to go, you know, four of six on them every night. But, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited if he can hit that at, like, 35% instead of 30%. It's huge. You know, and there was – that was, like, one of the questions I was asking all the Grizzlies bloggers in the offseason. I was like, do you think that he can that he can hit that, that shot in particular? And they were pretty confident. They were like, yeah, I think so. You know, they, they think that – and I, I thought so, too, just because, like, his form doesn't concern me. So, if he's got that going, I mean, we're looking all-star. Like, you know, they're going to be great. Like, I love how the Grizzlies are playing right now. Desmond Bain looks amazing. Um, I love this lineup with Bain and um, – I'm so happy to see Melton getting real minutes. 
Yeah, like, Melton's getting, getting real minutes. And, you know, they wanted to play him last year, and it really was just, like, in my opinion, it, it really was just um, they had to try out the Justice Winslow thing and see if it worked. And they realized, like, okay, it doesn't, and he was back in the rotation. So, Well, I think um, a lot of it was they were playing Grayson Allen more, and they were playing Tyus Jones more than him. And it's just like, he doesn't need to play those roles. Just put him out there and let him make stuff happen. Um, yep. Stuff will get interesting when Dylan Brooks comes back. But Dylan Brooks's defensive improvement last year was like maybe the biggest of any single guy in the league. I think before yeah. last year he was like not good, and then last year he was really good. Um, yeah. So I mean, if you have the two of them and Bain on the perimeter defending and JJJ like moving around in space and Stephen Adams protecting the rim, and if Ja can make jumpers, like I'm excited about the Grizzlies. I already was. I'm always excited about the Grizzlies. I have like a spiritual connection to the grit and grind Grizz. Because yeah. they basically were the 90s Knicks of the 2010s. Oh, that's um, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Um, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> really appreciate it. Find him at the Action Network. You can find him at HP Basketball on Twitter. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, 5 to 6. And from then on, it'll be Tuesdays and Thursdays, 5 to 6, uh, for the next few months. So, uh, Matt, thanks again, man. Appreciate you.